You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and I'm so excited for this week's show. It's going to be a great show. Um, We're doing something a little bit different this week. I actually have a gentleman joining me uh, today to talk about not only the work he has done as a veteran journalist, but his perspective on why women in leadership is important and um, what the benefits will be once we reach that level of equity there. So um, my guest is going to be, in just a moment, Steve Kep. Steve is the co-founder of From Day One, and he'll be joining me in just a moment. Later in the show, Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor, will be joining us as always. And she's going to be with the executive director of the Colonial Theater in Phoenixville. Her name is Jennifer Carlson. Um, As always, if you're new to the show, you can learn all about our lineup and things that we have going on outside of the show at Women to Watch. .net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And a big thank you to our watch team of contributors, our corporate partners who support the show and help us bring you the content each and every week. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Steve Kep. Hi, Sue. Glad to be here. Hi, honored. Steve. Oh, it's great to have you. And uh, I'll, I'll say right off the bat, you're only my fourth man on the show. Over the ten years, so wow, yeah, great. (laughs) I well, it's yeah, it is good, and I think it's something I want to be doing a little bit more of. So, um, when your colleague Nora reached out to me, I thought, you know, this is going to be a good opportunity. I I think she shared with me that you have some insights and experience from from working with women, and you know, we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. Um, I always like to give our listeners and viewers a a sense of where you came from and uh, just talk for a few minutes about the community in what Pewaukee, Pewaukee, Wisconsin. What was that uh, community like there for you growing up? Well, it was a little town outside of Milwaukee, um, surrounded by farms. Uh, It is the dairy state after all. And my county had more cows than people, but we were fortunate fortunate enough to live on a lake um, so it was like being at summer camp all, all year round. So it was a lot of fun. Um, my, my grandfather had been mayor of the town. It was pretty much of a storybook oh, wow. situation. Yeah. 
that's a big deal. Your grandpa was the mayor. Mm-hmm. So did you have to be on your best behavior at all times? We were kind of known around town. It was hard to get away with much um, anonymously. Yes, we're pretty well known. <laughs> and and we grew up as, you know, big sports fans of the Green Bay Packers and so on. And um, I went through a long Catholic school upbringing and um, and then decided later on after college to, to move to New York City. Wow. So did you um, always know when you were a young boy that you were interested in writing and storytelling? Was that innate? Uh, I think so. I think it was partly because the the nuns in our Catholic school made us write 500 word penalties uh, for whatever (laughs) we did. And so I got I got pretty good at that. Um, And then in high school, started writing. And then in college, I I, uh, majored in journalism. Um, I worked on the college paper, uh, University of Wisconsin uh, at Eau Claire is the town. And um, and then from there, right into newspapers the, the Monday after I graduated. So I, I didn't really stop. It was fairly, fairly linear. Yeah, which is unusual, I think. I, I, I did, you know, it's not that common, I think, to know what you want to do when you're little and stick with that throughout your life. Yeah, I mean, later on, I started to do variations on the theme, but but definitely, I was right. I was fortunate too that journalism, local journalism in particular, was still really going strong and needed people, and so you really got to get. I really got to get out into the community. Tell me a little bit about your mom. I understand she was a counselor. Um, what was your relationship with her? What do you remember about growing up, um, the conversations she had with you regarding your own aspirations? Oh, yeah. Well, she was a, a great role model. She was busy. We had four kids, one of whom had special needs. So um, it was a busy household. But she was also um, a registered nurse who had then um, used that to become a, a kind of chief medical officer on long airline flights and things. And then later, um, with four kids, went back to school and got her advanced degree and became a marriage and family counselor. So wow. uh, I, I learned about like hard work and managing a lot of different things and, and also the ability to, to grow and evolve um, your career. Wow. That, that's, um, and, uh, that's brave to do that, that. She did that, you know, with four children, but later in life to go pursue that. Uh, yes, and and she was very encouraging too in terms of um, my career. Um, uh, different different uh, kids in my family went on to different things, but um, she was always you know very encouraging about following um, what we were passionate about and not necessarily what would be successful. Um, so, well, that's that was great. Impo- that's important, right? I think um, often when I think about upbringing, where the message is go get a job that's going to pay the rent and give you a pension. And then you have, you know, parents who say, find what you love to do and it'll never feel like work. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, it's definitely good advice. And when you're, when you can see it in your kids, um, uh, the other thing too, is to just expose them to a lot of things uh, I found. And they did, um, um, even with like, you know, a big family, if, if we wanted to try something new, they, they, you know, really wanted to let us um, what you know, however many musical instruments we wanted to try to learn to play, that was that was uh, supported. Despite the noise in the house. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your years at the University of Wisconsin. Um, we have we share a couple things in common, Catholic schooling and mm-hmm. then writing for the paper. And um Tell me what you remember most about those years as far as feeling inspired about paper, you know, newspapers and publishing and writing. Well, it was a, um, a very um, the, the Eau Claire is a, it's not the flagship campus. It's a one up in the northwest part of the state, uh, but it had a great ski team. And that was interesting to me. So I, I participated on that. But it also had a great college newspaper called The Spectator. And it was really a team sport. I mean, we and we got to do hands on everything. We had a dark room. We had, you know, we printed our own uh, newspapers back when there was a lot of printing going on. But um, uh, just a lot of we just got to work with a lot of personalities. There was a real esprit de corps there. It was, um, uh, you know, mixed gender. Um, the, the editors were all, editors in chief were often female. 
Um, and um, it was it was exciting. We were taken seriously. Um, we could stir up a lot of uh, commotion with some of the stories that that we would write. And so it was very satisfying. You could really see the impact of hard work and hard reporting. Do you remember a, a first story, perhaps, that got some attention that you were behind? Can you um, share? Yeah. I, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. I remember one about, um, you know, on a campus, they have the student senate and they have the faculty senate. And like, I think it was my first story. I was sent out to cover the faculty senate, which is in an uproar about limit, limiting the outside activities of professors. They can only have a certain amount of extra gigs. And this became a hugely controversial and I reported on it. And so the professors were going to the student paper to find out what was going on. And so that was very satisfying. That was my first outing. Um, I, I was also the editorial page writer, and I came out with a, a piece against uh, Greek, against fraternities and sororities, and um, or whatever they were doing. I don't remember specifically, but I, I didn't approve. And um, and I was really called on the carpet. I went to a sorority, and I was there was a, like a tribunal there and with 12 chairs in a semicircle and my chair. And I really had to, I realized that you're accountable for what you say, you know, um, mm -hmm. and um, what you write. So that was, those were some very, as a, as a still at being a teenager, that was kind of um, a, a quite a bracing real world experience. And yet you still decided to go on and pursue, you know, the industry and storytelling. It's very true, but different today, I would say without uh, or with, internet, right? And social media, the, the backlash can be immediate and, and even tougher. I'll say, yeah, people are so much more um, in the spotlight now um, in, in ways that they that they can get blindsided. You know, you don't even know where it's coming from. Whatever you put out there can bounce around the internet um, and then come back and, and, and catch you unawares. Um, you shared with me, Steve, we had a conversation and you mentioned a woman named Terry Lynn, who was your very first boss. Okay. And I'd love for you to talk about um, why your time with her has stayed with you. Well, I, because it's a, it's one of those things where it's the first impression, first exposure really sticks with you because you're absorbing so many things at once. Um, Terry was the, uh, so the setting is, um, basically my hometown newspaper, the Waukesha Freeman. It was an abolitionist newspaper started around the time of the Civil War and still run by a fa uh, the family that, that owned it at that time. And uh, I was a reporter. She was the features editor and she was a, um, a, a rather tiny but, but uh, super energetic person, very smart and, uh, you know, just um, so on top of everything and very encouraging. So, um, I just remember her being her her dynamism in this uh, having a big impact in this town, small town um, really stuck with me. And I was I was uh, I was I was really, you know, sort of comfortable, comfortable with from that very beginning um, with, with her as, you know, my guiding force. And then I went on to other things. I was only there a couple of years, but I think she went off to Alaska uh, to be a, an editor at a paper. So wow. that was her spirit. And there was no, so when you went in there and that was your first job, there was no, um, apprehension. Oh, my boss is a woman. I'm guessing it, it didn't make a difference to you. No, it, no. And it didn't. And also you, you, first of all, no one's ever blind to gender, you know, you know, that's, that's just as you're not color, we're not colorblind, but, um, Within minutes of knowing her, her personality kind of transcended all that. So one of a kind person. Um, I wanted to talk about you worked um, at Fortune magazine. And am I yes. right? You were an executive editor there as well? Yes, I spent most of my career as um, executive and deputy, at, well, in different editorial roles at Time magazine. But then um, later in my career, I decided I wanted to try new things. And so I went over to the sister publication and, and was executive editor at Fortune, where I handled things like the Fortune 500 and, and other franchises. And how about the, um, the most powerful women issue? When I see that title and it's annual, um, what do you think makes a woman powerful? Well, that's very interesting because it's not sheer rank. So this was a, a, a conference and an issue um, co-founded by my colleague, Patty Sellers. And um, 
what was what was interesting was that that they had a whole kind of set of criteria about it, and it included influence. It included like, is this person uh, accelerating in a industry that used to be the, kind of the old boys network, whether that might be you know the oil industry or banking, mm-hmm. um, um, changes that they're making, you know ha- the impact that they're having. Um, and a whole bunch of factors. So it wasn't just were they at you know executive vice president and above or something like that. We're going to go into our first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about your decision to start from day one and and what it's all about. Great. If you're listening on uh, radio, stay tuned for our watch team, and we'll be right back with Steve Kep. Now the women to watch: Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving small business owners the tools and resources to help them succeed financially. As a female entrepreneur, having financial confidence is an invaluable skill to advance your success in life. Whether your business is well-established or in the earliest stages, you're probably used to being a little out of your comfort zone. And that's a good thing. When you're doing something you wouldn't typically do, you're learning and growing. Too often, women let the fear of finances hold them back in personal life decisions and even business decisions. That's why financial literacy is crucial for women and especially female entrepreneurs. When you seem stuck, network. Reach out to successful, innovative, money-savvy women who have been where you are. Financial confidence for women, and women business owners in particular, isn't talked about enough. Have you ever gotten a question that you just missed because you felt intimidated? As a business owner, you've probably asked yourself everything from what type of checking account is best for your business to how to prepare for yearly taxes. Talking to someone like yourself, who's been there before you, is sure to make you feel comfortable. Start by connecting with other entrepreneurs online that seem in a similar situation, like the service they offer or location. Send a message, introduce yourself, and tell them why you want to connect. What's the worst that could happen? Once you build the confidence, try attending a networking event, particularly for female business owners. Take it even further by joining a female entrepreneur association in your area and get involved. Truth is, even on our most confident days, we could still use some assurance. Women love to see other women achieving their goals and dreams. So reach out, connect, ask questions and learn. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. Women to watch. Sports watch. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welker, and you are listening to Sports Watch. You know, truthfully and, and unfortunately, um, in sports, we don't put the same resources to girls. Why? Because there aren't often the same end games, which means there aren't the same dollars um, invested in girls' sports in the feeder system, and then all the way up, as we saw play out this year in, in March Madness very vividly. Um, with the NCAA tournament. And we saw the disparities between um, what the girls were given versus what the boys were given. So why would she see that and think that the world is as viable and puts the same value on her sport participation as the boys do? And so we have to be very um, intentional again. And I will use that word over and over. You'll hear me say it because she isn't going to naturally be socialized as easy into some of these situations as the boys are. So moms and dads, let's be active and proactive in creating the situations where she is coached, mentored, trained in the same way as the boys are. And then the end game become more visible and more viable in terms of what she sees and how women are paid on all playing fields so that her dreams aren't just a dream. They're actually a reality that makes sense and that she is an instrument to success as opposed to being shown that the best way for a woman to be is to be the accessory to the success of someone else. Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco. You're listening to Women to Watch, and I'm joined this week by Steve Kep. Steve is the co-founder and chief content officer of From Day One, which is a 
a conference series and a journalism platform. And I do want to ask, you know, when the kind of revelation came for you to start this, but I thought I would ask you about uh, the film, the paper that you co-wrote with your brother. Um, and if you had an opportunity to meet and work with Ron Howard, any fun facts you can share? Sure. Well, I'm glad you did your research. Um, yes, that was a that was a for me because well, uh, it was a once in a lifetime experience. Um, Ron Howard is uh, the director, uh, is every bit you know the nice guy that you'd expect. Super unpretentious, um, um, also very inventive, um, and I, I would say one of the as a co-writer, I wrote it with my brother Dave, who is a, that's what he does for a living. He writes and directs, um, and um, one of the most fish out of water experiences was when um, one of the characters is, is played by Glenn Close and she plays kind of a, um, a bad guy, so to speak, uh, in the office. And um, she was worried about the other characters and how they regarded her. So Ron said, could you, go, Steve, could you go and talk to Glenn uh, privately about her motivation and her character and all that? So I found myself in a room along with Glenn Close giving her advice. And I thought this is like, <laughs> this is really wacky. I mean, I knew what to say because we we wrote the we wrote that character um, based on you know people that I'd met in in the business. But um, right. that was uh, I I did not I did definitely had imposter syndrome there. Oh my gosh! Well, you're thinking I'm not going to give her acting advice. I'm just going to tell her a little bit more who the character is, right? Exactly. Yes, that what, I could what, do. What year did that film come out? Uh, a long time ago, 1994, and one of the interesting things about it is it's it's basically um, kind of pre-internet, you know, and there are not, you know, uh, it's a very analog world, um, but it's built about one day in the, in the life of a newsroom, and um, and it's deliberately meant to speed up as it goes along, so it goes faster and faster and faster till till the end. What was that experience like for you? You know, um, it's different. You know, newspapers, magazines are are different from film. And did you get the bug? I want to do this again and perhaps write another movie. Um, not really. I mean, I, I thought about some ideas, some of which I still have. But my career in journalism then as an editor was taking off. Um, the 90s were, were very busy. And then, of course, around. 9-11, you know what happened. And, and my, my own responsibilities got kind of swept me away. So I have mm -hmm. not gone, have not gone back to that. But it is, it is gratifying to hear when people see it now, that they realize, oh, yeah, that's what it was, what it's like to be in a, a real newsroom. It's very exciting. Um, so we, we captured a little uh, kind of a moment in time. Yeah. And how much would you say it's changed from then and that movie, that depiction of and today? Mm -hmm. um, well, I, th I think well, since the pandemic, it's been most dramatic because you, the part of the excitement was being in a big newsroom. And you can yeah. see that at like the New York Times and places. So for the last several years now, two and a half, um, people have not been in newsrooms. Um, now, to some degree, that, that lets them get out in the field more and so on. But, but it's that sort of being in, a, in a, a, an energy hub of you know chatter and being able to just walk across a room and hang by someone's desk and ask for advice or something. That's that's the kind of essential thing, and, and I, I hope it's coming back. Yeah, there is a, a lot. There's a difference between the energy when people are around you and you can bounce ideas, and when you're working all by yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely, uh, something is is missing there. Right. So tell me, you had, with regard to your career, you had an epiphany um, that, that you shared with me. And I'd love for you to talk about that. Um, and I don't know if I'm um, describing it correctly, but you had a change of heart or <clears throat> a revelation about not kind of chasing after titles, but pivoting oh. towards finding and doing the work that you love. Um, yes, I I, um, I I decided at some point after sort of climbing the ladder for a couple, two or three decades at, at Time Magazine to try shorter cycles of new things. I decided, okay, um, late in my career, I want to I want to have just be be learning all the time and being plunged into new things. So I went to Fortune, which wasn't a, as vast a change, but then also into 
individual projects, um, one focusing on the city of Detroit and reporting there. Another was uh, going into the book publishing unit of our, our company and publishing uh, books and getting to edit a, a whole book by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is a, um, a boyhood uh, hero of mine, and um, and just doing new things. And then it included a, a, a small startup company in Brooklyn reporting local news, which I realized was never going to make money. But I also, at the same time, was observing um, a kind of a change in the weather in business. And I had been a business reporter, of course, in which there was a focus on not just shareholders in the stock market, but everybody else that your business impacts, the stakeholders, workers, community members, and so on. And, um, and so uh, I'll, I'll pause here for your next question, but that, that led to my next, the next thing. The next thing. So uh, my guess is that is what led to from day one. And so um, first tell us the, the title, I think, if you can say what that's about, or it'll help people understand. Sure. sure. It's, it, it, it's, you have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It, it originally had a little different intention. We um, at this local news um, outlet I had in Brooklyn, we had a um, a podcast called From Day One because it was about uh, Brooklyn f- business founders, um, all different people, different neighborhoods, guys who started Brooklyn Brewery, other other folks, and so that that made sense. And so when we we first had a, a conference, when I joined with two partners who are very expert in in doing conferences. We used that name, and it, it just kind of felt right. We already were working with it. It seemed like it, it suggests a turning point, um, a new chapter, and, and that's what we really wanted to focus on and being very newsy and looking at, how, how comp- looking at corporate values. So would you say that the very first thing you did in 2018 was the conference in Brooklyn? Uh, yes, we started. We, yes, indeed. We had a conference. And, and um, uh, lo and behold, um, it was successful and we had sponsors, people like AT&T um, we, and my partners had had some uh, experience working with sponsors and, um, and, it, and it worked. Um, the community really supported it, New York University. It just seemed like when, once we described it, as this is a forum on corporate values and how commun- uh, companies can behave better. People thought, oh, okay, we want to be like that. You know, we want to talk about that. So it, it, it took off right from the beginning. Would you, it, does it encompass, you know, um, a new acronym, CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility? Um, is that part of it? So, you know, on the one side, we're talking about how companies and businesses can have better relationships with their employees and their clients, et cetera. Corporate social responsibility is where do we want to give back? You know, we, we can't just make profit and not do something good with it. Definitely. And in the last few years, the whole broad continuum of human resources or human capital has expanded into a bunch of specialties that includes diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, uh, things like talent acquisition. And one important thing is, is corporate social responsibility or, or social impact. And it's not just about uh, doing good in your community um, and being popular with with citizens. It also affects the other parts of your company in the sense that if if you're trying to attract employees um, with more than just higher pay or benefits, you if you can show that you're doing 
important positive things in the community, that's important to them. So it, it really does have a halo effect on, on all your, your corporate activities if you, you show you care. And also you're thoughtful about what you're doing because you can't, you can't fix everything, but some companies have the, the, the skill and the, and the, the people power to, to have an impact. You know, I find it so interesting. I think the younger generation um, today is demanding transparency. And it's almost like when they go for a job interview, they're asking more questions of the employer than the employer is of them. What are you seeing uh, with regard to that? Um, Sure. They're asking about um, a a lot of things. Uh, They are asking about things like working conditions. Is there flexibility? And we can talk more about that. But um, they're also asking about career growth. Like, will I have opportunities to just keep looking for new adventures? Not necessarily climbing a ladder in a, in a linear way, but but learning new things um, and and um, being challenged. So those are important. Also, like, where does your company stand on on diversity? And not just a, a number, but giving people a sense that, that they belong, um, whoever they might be, and and diversity in a really broad sense. Um, and, um, and, and also your, your social impact, your, the the ESG, environmental, social governance, those sorts of things people actually care about. Um, they, they want to know if their companies are, are good guys or bad guys, or oftentimes it's a, it's a mix. Big companies have lots of different things going on. Right. Tell me, so when we think about flexibility, particularly for women, who are mm-hmm. juggling a lot of different things. What what are some actionable things companies and businesses can do that maybe they've not thought about? Well, flexibility gets a lot of lip service as just like one big idea, but it, it can be broken down in, in, into important parts. And there are, um, as, as one of our recent um, speakers at our events pointed out, um, uh, there's three factors in flexibility. One can be, well, where you work, um, and that includes how often do you have to report to an office and so on. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, also time. Uh, you know, when do you have to be on the clock? Uh, and a lot of people who are caregivers can't just be nine to five or eight to six or whatever it might be. They need to work, as they say, asynchronously, perhaps different parts of the day. And then and then also the third part would be how you work. Um, are you are you always on? What are what are the just conditions and circumstances of, of collaboration and communication that allow people to really have the flexibility to, to have caregivers or, or also just um, to do things like healthy, healthy things to, to make their lives sustainable? Right. And, you know, I was going to ask you when it comes to health, um, some companies are incorporating services and resources for both physical and mental health within their companies. Um, do you see that, you know, kind of happening? We're going to go in that direction where that, that, that is really flexibility and also focusing on the health and well-being of employees. That's, that's really big right now um, because it's really necessary. People have been through a lot um, just as, as a society, you know, um, in terms of the pandemic and um, racial reckoning um, movement um, and just a lot of other things going on in the world. And, and also just because jobs are more freeform now, they're, 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 the whole shift to hybrid work is still a work in progress and with a lot of uncertainty. So uh, a focus on physical and mental health, especially um, mental health, which there used to be a real taboo about talking about that. But now um, it's, it's important for companies to provide a lot of services. They should be uh, personalized and customized. Not everybody has got issues in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. Companies also need to teach their managers how, how to how to deal with that. If they're one of their people they supervise come to them and say they have an issue, which we, we hear a lot, like managers say, I, I didn't sign up to be a, a therapist, you know. Well, right. no, but this is something that's needed now. So so companies need to, to, to teach their managers how to how to respond and to know what resources to recommend for people. Um, and then there's a host of new resources, including um, telehealth, uh, you know, psychotherapy online, um, you know, meditation apps, lots, lots of different things. T- Steve, tell me what you say to people who who say that we've become too soft, we need too much, and you know, work should be about work, going, getting the job done, and you know, 
seeing results? We actually have a, we have, have sev uh, several um, panel discussions on the topic of how high performing workplaces can be compassionate too, and it is a tension um, between productivity and and empathy. But you can have both, um, and finding that finding that a good mix is is what you what you need to do to be to be a successful business. Um, people need to be able to work at a high level, and if they're going to work at a high level, they also have to uh, be be just living healthy lives. Um, and if the if the work the the demands of work are causing strain in terms of substance abuse or fatigue or just just plain um, exhaustion, um, they're not going. They're not going to be able to produce. So it's it's in the it's in the best interests of um, keep of the business to keep people uh, healthy and and um, working at their at their best that they can be. Thanks so much, Steve. I appreciate you joining us and talking about your career and why you support women. Thank you so much, Sue. Great to be here. I really that, appreciate it. Uh, that's the end of the segment. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Sherry Morrison. And again, she'll be with Jennifer Carlson, the executive director of the Colonial Theater. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Let's talk about the great resignation. Hi there. My name is Diana Barnes, or DB, as most people call me. And I'm the chief brand officer and creative director at Munchkin the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Navigating your career during a global crisis is far from straightforward. Many of us, myself included, have taken stock of our lives, our jobs, and how we spend the time we have. We're always taking inventory of our decisions and making adjustments, but when monumental shifts occur, like a global pandemic, they can result in significant economic movements. Enter the great resignation, the big quit, as it's also known, isn't just an opportunity for workers to find more lucrative jobs that they can do from their living rooms. Instead, it's a chance for people to find careers in companies that fill their cups. At Munchkin, we strive to create a culture where monetary compensation is a slice of the pie, but not the whole thing. When employees feel good about their work, the causes their company supports, and the opportunities afforded to them, they tend to stick around. Workplace flexibility and compensation are motivation factors, but so are recognition, advancement, and education. Last year, Munchkin was named a great place to work certified company with 88% of our employees saying it's a great place to work. This accolade isn't a result of competitive salaries and flexible schedules alone. We strive to ensure that employees know they're valued, not just for the work they do, but for who they are. If you oversee a company struggling with employee retention, I urge you to tap into your brand's values and those of your team. In what ways can you bring more value to your employees' lives? How can you invest in them so they invest in you? Putting your employees at the forefront of your strategy will only benefit your company and improve the quality of talent you retain and attract. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Good afternoon. I'm Sherry Morrison and welcome to the lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. Today I have the pleasure of spending some time in Phoenixville at the Colonial Theater with Executive Director Jennifer Carlson. Thank you for having us, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm so excited to join you as well. So you are relatively new to Phoenixville as the Executive Director of the theater, but certainly not new to the theater and arts industry. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in education? Yes, I graduated from Temple University with a degree in theater. Right after that, I apprenticed at the Walnut Street Theater in stage management. And then for several years after that, I freelanced as a stage manager, assistant director, producer. And then I decided to get a full-time job in the arts, working at People's Light and Theater in Malvern as the box office manager. Uh, then I ended up working at Historic Philadelphia as the program director, directing programs in the Historic District as well as Valley Forge National Historic Park. And then for the past several years, I've worked as executive director of two different museums, both housed in historic buildings. So I've always kept my connection to the performing arts and history through my work and volunteer activities. So being here at the Colonial Theater really combines all of those passions. 
Wow, absolutely. That's an impressive list of credentials. And now here you are at the Colonial Theater. This is a fabulous facility. Um, and I'm sure there's some great stories that go along with it. I absolutely love the architecture. I've, I've belonged to numerous local revitalized theaters over the years, and this may be one of my favorites. Can you, can you share a little bit about the history? Yeah, so the Colonial Theater and the history of Phoenixville have been intertwined for the past 120 years. The theater came to be in 1903 uh, when Harry Brownback fulfilled his dream of bringing world-class entertainment right here to Phoenixville. So he purchased two adjoining buildings and built a theater uh, behind them or as part of them. And then by fall of 1903, uh, the, the theater was presenting plays and even sh very short early films at that point. Um, so uh, Phoenixville was bustling at that time because of the iron business. And now its residents finally had a theater. Uh, what's interesting is eventually Phoenixville would have four theaters downtown. The Colonial is the only one remaining of those four. Um, and then fast forward to 1958, the Colonial is now famous for its role uh, in the sci-fi film The Blob, which starred Steve McQueen. Uh, but then fast forward a little more to 1987 when the steel mills closed and Phoenixville really experienced uh, economic decline. So the nonprofit who currently operates the theater, the Association for the Colonial Theater, took over the Colonial and restored it and started showing films in 1999. And it really gave people a place to come. And it started, the Colonial, as well as several other businesses in town, really spurred the uh, revitalization of Phoenixville. And you can tell and that. Sorry, I should add that in uh, 27. What's that? I'm <laughs> yes, sorry. and I should just add in 27. In, in 2017, uh, there was an expansion. It's where I'm sitting now. Uh, the bank building that was next to the theater was remodeled. And now instead of one theater, we house three theaters, as well as a beautiful concessions lobby and a meeting space and rooftop terrace. It, it really is beautiful. So I'm sitting in the Berry Theater, one of the three theaters here in this building. And um, it holds 68 seats, and it really feels like something out of the movies. I mean, I feel like I'm, I should be sitting here with Clark Gable or something. It's got the rich red colors, and you can see the stage behind me. I kind of want to jump up there with my microphone and put on a little show, but I won't. I'll spare you. Um, so there are some really fun features around the building as you walk through the different rooms. The donors don't just give their dollars. They use their imagination. Um, Right here in the Berry Theater, if you make a certain donation amount, you get a placard on the back of the seat. And um, the one front and center says, kick me, instead of having somebody's name. So that just cracks me up. Um, can you tell us about any of the other little fun things that are around this theater that, uh, like, uh, I know the one yeah. theater is named White Rabbit. I'd love to hear the story behind that, but I know it's anonymous uh, who made the donation. So I guess I won't know the, the real background until maybe someday they write it anonymously for me. <laughs> my, mind, my mind goes to Jefferson Airplane and Grace Lake. <laughs> Any other fun little things I should know about? Yeah, so actually right next to the entrance to the White Rabbit Theater, we do have an elevator, which is part of what makes this expansion so exciting is that it makes our spaces more accessible. Um, unfortunately, the historic uh, 1903 theater, not as accessible um, yet, but um, we have a wonderful elevator that does hit all of the different spaces in the expansion. And uh, the donor decided to call it Shaft, the Isaac Hayes elevator. Uh, <laughs> so there's all kinds of whimsical, interesting things to see here besides our programming. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I think it's so much fun that the people who make donations and support the theater uh, are having fun with it as well. What other events do you do at the theater uh, other than just films and movies? So we do so many things. Um, so I should mention that we try to make some films more of an experience and something that's been really popular is what we call edible cinema. And that's where we will offer a, a special food pairing with a film uh, and people just love it. The, the next one we have coming up is in August, um, and it's for Mamma Mia. We're going to be partnering with Avlos Greek Cuisine in Phoenixville. Um, so for a bit more of a ticket price, you can get the ticket for the film and this food pairing. Uh, and we do that regularly throughout the year. 
Um, so we also have other types of film events. There's horror marathons. Uh, sometimes we have speakers uh, talking about the films. But we do host live uh, musical uh, concerts and comedians and other types of performances. So John Lovitz will be here in August. Uh, Rufus Rain Wainwright will be here in October. Um, so definitely check out our website because we have so many interesting performances coming up. I think you're going to be seeing me a lot. So this Good. coming weekend is the biggie. It's the Blob Fest. And as you mentioned, the Blob, the thriller, was filmed here at the Colonial Theater in 1958. Um, the, the Blob Fest itself, uh, festival, is taking place Friday through Sunday, the 8th through the 10th. Um, so the movie uh, starred Steve McQueen. And... Um, I watched the trailer for the first time. It's first, I watched the movie when I was little and I was scared to death. Um, you know, you just were afraid this big blob, green blob was gonna swallow you up and eat you and you'd be gone forever. And, and it, I'd never understood how you couldn't outrun it, but whatever. Um, I watched the trailer this weekend for the first time and I, I had a really good chuckle because I can't imagine being scared of it because now the movies are so realistic and, and have so much going on. Um, it's easy to be scared now, <laughs> but because it's real, uh, but uh, the blob, not so real. <laughs> so it was filmed here at the Colonial Theater and it's shown multiple times over the course of the Blob Fest, um, along with other great filler, fill, thrillers from back in the day. And this will be your first Blob Fest, correct? Yes. I, I really want to thank you, Jennifer, for introducing us to this fantastic facility and for your time um, over the last couple of days with me. And I hope everybody will come and enjoy this theater and everything else that goes all along in Phoenixville. Um, for more information about the Colonial Theater and upcoming films, shows, performances, if you want to have a special event here, I mean, you can rent this very theater. It's 68 seats, but you can rent it for 12, have a private viewing. You can bring in your own caterer. You can have a cocktail party. It's just lovely. So if you want more information, go to the Colonial Theater, um, dot com, and theater is spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E, and it's at 227 Bridge Street in Phoenixville. So I hope you will all join me next week as I vi visit with Ellen Yin. Ellen was the founder and co-owner co of High Street Hospi Hospitality Group. She's also the operator of four of the country's most noteworthy restaurants and bars, including Fork. She's known as the woman who first transformed Philadelphia's dining scene and Philadelphia's most successful and insight insightful restaurateurs and a trailblazer with the farm to table concept. So um, I'm excited to talk to her and introduce you to her newest venture and project, the Wonton Project, which was born out of the pandemic as a takeout and delivery pop-up and benefits Asian Americans United and Advancing Justice. There are two organizations working to combat discrimination against Asian Americans. So thank you again, Jennifer. Keep living your dreams, ladies, and uh, back to you, Sue. Now the Women to Watch, Military Watch. You know, give a service member a task and it will definitely get done. And if you give a service member a new purpose, you can sit back and watch them thrive. Hello there, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. You know, the most challenging part of transitioning from military life is finding your next career. Finding that next job can be daunting for service members. Everything from learning how the civilian job market works, like for instance, what job titles mean, to realizing that you'll now have to pay much more for health benefits and other expenses. Aside from the technical aspects, there are the intangibles many service members cite. A military career offers excitement, adventure, and an overall fulfilling sense of purpose, and that you're part of something bigger than yourself. That's where hiring our heroes comes in. Formed by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Hiring Our Heroes Corporate Fellowship Program offers transitioning service members the opportunity to work for a civilian employer during their last three months of their military service. 
These HOH fellows can get real-world experience, they can gain a better understanding of their civilian career options and aspirations, and the program provides employers access to high-quality talent. Data shows that participating employers are so impressed that most offer the fellows full-time employment at the conclusion of the program. The offer rate is well over 95%. Comcast has participated in this fellowship program for years, and we are continually amazed at the dedication, skills, and energy that our transitioning service members bring to our company. So whether you're a service member looking to transition or an employer searching for tremendous talent, check out www.hiringourheroes.org to learn more. Hi, and welcome back. I hope everybody enjoyed the show this week. That was so fun to hear from uh, Jennifer Carlson at the Colonial Theater. I am definitely going to be going to the uh, Mamma Mia food pairing. That sounds amazing. And thank you to Sherry for bringing us the segment. Uh, Thanks to Steve Kep for being a, a gentleman on the show. And uh, be sure to check out womentowatch.net for all things related to the program, uh, including our lineup of guests yet to come. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Emily Bibb, and she is the founder of a company called Brief, which is a marketing agency that matches people and businesses with uh, the right marketing expert. So have a great week, everyone, and stay well. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.